If you think about patterns, we all, if we were to look at our life, we all have certain patterns, right? For example, this morning, kind of the, the pattern of, of my day or, or life always begins with coffee, right? And that's true for many of us. Many of us, that's where the pattern of our life begins in the morning. In fact, mine began like this this morning. So my daughter, uh, Grace, my oldest, one, uh, oldest daughter, got up this morning uh, to a lot of wind coming into the house. And so she's upstairs. She's the only room upstairs. And so she comes down. And a lot of times she comes down when there's storms because of lightning. Because lightning, we're like a, a lightning hot, hot rod just a, or a hotbed in our neighborhood. We just attract lightning for some reason. I'm not sure, but there's always lightning fires in houses in our neighborhood. So that's real fun. Uh, and so Grace, just anytime there's a storm, she's just kind of come down. That's kind of been her routine for uh, the nine years that we've lived in the house that we're in. And so she came down this morning and about a little bit before six, and she's like, hey, is, is there, is this a storm? I was like, no, it's just, just a wind coming in. And, and so she, she crawled in our bed, which which I love when your 13-year-old daughter gets uh, crawls in bed with your parents. And, and then, oh, by the way, my five-year-old daughter was already in the bed with us. So that was just, it was fun. I, I leaned over to my wife and I said, hey, this, I'm girl trapped. I mean, I'm just totally girl trapped in this bed this morning. So anyway, but then all of a sudden we, we had to get up anyway. So it was like 6'10". So it was a short-lived experience. So we got up and all of a sudden, Grace, and she's going to kill me for saying this. So don't, don't repeat this, all right? This stays in these walls, okay? Uh, and so she goes around the corner into the hall, and all of a sudden, she darts back into our room, petrified. She's like, Dad, right? Because I'm like, I'm like, I'm Iron Man. Remember that from last week? And so she starts yelling. She's like, Dad. She goes, what is that? And I'm like, she goes, Dad, I think somebody's in the house. And I'm like, what? And she's like, what is that? Is that? She goes, are the dogs in, in the laundry room? Or, or she goes, the, the pantry door's open. And of course, I'm thinking, well, that's... That's a boy if, if the pantry door is open. But at 6 a.m., that's weird because boys also like to sleep, but they like to eat. So the question is, which one's greater? And so she comes, and I'm like, what in the world? And, and so I, I, I almost started to get our, our, uh, our defense system in the home, which is a big um, uh, aluminum bat under the bed. And that's kind of how I roll, all right? And so, and so I started to get it, but then I thought, wait a second. And so I walked around the corner and it was the coffee machine that had gone off. It had just, you know when it starts, it makes that <laughs> It's like this Darth Vader, loud breathing kind of, I don't know what it's doing, but it's doing something, right? That ends up making something really great. And so I came in, I was like, I was like hey Grace, that's, it's, it's the coffee machine. And she's like, oh. I mean, she was petrified. And so I told her, I was like, hey, you know what that means? It's time to get up, you know? <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> And so the pattern begins. And it, so we all have those, those patterns in our life. My mind begins with the coffee maker going off during the week. And so we have those different patterns, those, those habits. Here's what I want us to see today is in the text today, I believe we see a pattern, I pray, hopefully, for our life. Um, I want to call it a pattern of discipleship. And, and at the end of the day, what I'll do is I'll give you the, the five points. First, I want us to see it, just to see it. And then at the end, I'll, I'll give you the, the five points that, that I think uh, is fleshed out here. So we have different patterns, but I hope and pray that this becomes a pattern for your life that we see in this text today, because I think it's wonderful. I think, I think it's simple, 
there's complexities to it, but I think there's some reasons there's some complexities, and we'll see why. But I think it's simple, and it's a pattern. The question is, is our life, is our hearts opened to it? Okay? And so look at verse 27 as we, we dive into it. After that, Jesus went out and noticed. Now, I want us to stop there for a second. After what? Now, I don't know if this is the same day. Uh, I don't know if this is like a couple of days later, but we know what has happened before this. So when he says after that, after that, so he has healed a man with leprosy. We saw that last week. He's healed a man that was paralyzed. We saw that as well as his four buddies uh, brought him down uh, through the roof in this home, and he was healed. And so after that, it says here that Jesus went out, he noticed a tax collector, a man by the name of Levi, right, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Now, there's two things I want us to see here. The, the first thing that we see, okay, is Jesus is a missionary, right? Jesus is a missionary. It says right here, after that, he went out, okay? Jesus came from the culture of heaven, okay, with angels and he came to the culture of earth with sinners. That's what Jesus did. So he is a missionary. And we see right here, the first thing he does in his missionary work is he recognizes and he connects with lostness. It's the first thing he does. He recognizes and he connects with brokenness. That was Jesus' pattern. And that's what he does right here. And that's the Father's heart. That's Jesus' heart. He doesn't ignore lostness. He, he doesn't snub his nose up at brokenness. Or does he complain about the lostness around him? No, he engages lostness. He engages brokenness. And he does so here by engaging this gentleman by the name of Levi, or who we may know, uh, many believe, to be Matthew, okay, who is a tax collector who also wrote the first gospel letter that we have uh, in the New Testament. And so he's a tax collector. Now, a tax collector, all right, was one that was not highly accepted in this day. Isn't it interesting how things haven't changed as much, all right? Tax collectors were despised in this day. In fact, how it would roll is Roman taxes were collected by what you would call agents, okay? And so you would, uh, as one who was looking to find a job and you wanted to be a tax collector because there was some money in it, if you wanted to be a tax collector, you would go out and you would make a bid to the Roman government to be a tax collector. And so what that they would do is they would pick you based on highest bids. Now, I don't know how they stopped the bidding or ended the bidding, but based on your high bid, you would get the role of a tax collector. And then your salary would be based on what you collected. So you would collect people's taxes. I don't know if there would be a, a fee or a surcharge or what it was that you were to try to get in hopes that you would earn back what you invested already. Uh, and then what would happen in many cases is these tax collectors, as a result, would overtax people, seeking, to obviously, to get back what they put into it, but also seeking to get wealthy as well. And so here's what you had is you had Jewish people who were tax collectors working for the Roman government. And so how did that look? Okay, You had Jewish tax collectors going to Jews, asking for their taxes, overtaxing these people, cheating these people, extortionists were what they really were, and then they were giving the money to the Roman government, this godless, 
government who had overtaken the Jews. And so as a result, tax collectors weren't really accepted. Nobody hung out with them. They, they didn't have friends, and they were religious outcasts. They weren't allowed into the synagogue. And so they were excluded from religious life. Nobody had anything to do with them except Jesus, right? Jesus didn't stay away from this guy. And we continue to see that, don't we? From the leper to the demoniacs, we see it with the woman in John 8 who gets caught in adultery. Jesus goes to those who others wouldn't. And we've seen that over and over again. We've seen the wonder of his grace. He's shown it to demoniac. He showed it to the leper, the paralytic. He shows it here to the tax collector. You might be in here this morning. Maybe you've had that thought before. Maybe you struggle with that thought every now and then. Maybe you're struggling with that thought this morning where you're thinking to yourself, you know, no one wants to have anything to do with me. Maybe you've had those low times. Sometimes we get there. Sometimes we maybe even think that, maybe even about Jesus. Jesus wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Well, I want you here today. Yes, he wants, he is the one that wants to have something with you. He wants to have a relationship with you, without a doubt. And so when that thought creeps in, I want you to know and remember this story that he goes to the ones that nobody else will. That's the wonder of his grace. He comes to us right where we're at. Whatever we're doing, wherever we're at in the time and season, he comes right where we're at. He does that, and he shows us that here with Levi, full of grace. And listen to what he says as he comes to him. He noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. He said to him, so Levi's working, right? He comes and he says to him, follow me, Levi. Follow me. So here we have an invitation, the invitation of the gospel. This is Jesus' invitation to the world. It's the invitation to us. What's amazing about this is Levi's not looking, right? He's not looking for Jesus. He's not out looking for God. But Jesus goes to him. He calls him and he changes his life. We call this the doctrine of election. Where God comes to us and he calls us. And it's an effectual calling. And he says to him, follow me. Now that's a loaded statement there, right? Asking him, he's inviting him to follow him. He's inviting him into discipleship. He's inviting him into a relationship. He's inviting him to come to live this life of faith. He's inviting him to repent, to leave what he's doing and to follow him. And so how does Levi respond? Look at verse 28. It says, he left everything behind, right? Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, follow me. And he leaves everything behind, got up, and began to follow him. So what does it mean that he left everything behind? He, he left everything behind, right? That's what it means. It's like the fishermen a few weeks ago, right? They leave their nets behind. They left their business behind. And here, Levi's doing the same thing. He leaves the tax booth that day to never come back again. He leaves the crooked job where he overtaxed people, he cheated people, he was an extortionist. He, he left that job to follow Jesus. And sometimes being a Christian means we have to leave jobs even. And in this case, he does. 
He leaves the tax booth. It's a final action. It's a beautiful picture, I think, this morning of how there's no hard heart that's too hard for Jesus. Because think about this guy. He's, he's greedy, right? He didn't have a lot of friends. And so I imagine this guy was hard-hearted. Nobody would accept him. He wasn't allowed in the synagogue like all of his other friends and maybe family. And this guy was an outcast. But the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, can work on any heart and change it immediately. Because that's what happens here. It's immediate. And this is the picture of repentance. As Levi goes from cheating and mistreating people to leaving that lifestyle and line of work to do what? To trust and follow Jesus immediately. This is immediate obedience to be his disciple. And that's what discipleship really is, right? It's, it's leaving and following. It's leaving that old way of life and following Jesus. And that's what Levi, that's what Matthew does here. Now look at verse 29. As he follows Jesus, he leaves everything behind. He follows him. Look what he does in verse 29. I love this. It says, Levi gave a big reception for Jesus in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors, other people who were reclining at the table with them. Anybody, anybody just in awe about this, what's happening here? He's, he's left his job. I don't, I don't know how much time passes here. Seems pretty quick, pretty immediate. I don't know if, how he got the word out on you know, Facebook or Twitter about the party coming up, all right? But it's pretty quick. I don't know if he was able to get some quick cards done on Etsy and get them out or what happened, but he does it pretty quick here, right? And what does he do? He, he invites who? He invites tax collectors. These are the only guys he really knew, right? right? Nobody else wanted, really wanted anything to do with him. He, he goes to his people he used to work with, right? Whether we, it was a few minutes ago, a few hours ago, we, we don't know, but he invites these people to come to his house and also other people. So these other people, I would gather other outcasts, sinners, right, that the religious crew would have nothing to do with, but Levi has them into his house. House. But what's the purpose for the party? It's for Jesus. It's a party for Jesus is what this is. It is a party in honor of Jesus. You see that, right? And that's amazing. It's amazing to think about. His first response was to do what? To introduce people in his sphere of influence to Jesus. To this one who has, in a moment changed his life. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the story of the gospel, right? And that's how it goes. Your life has changed, and, and what happens is you want people to know about it, right? It's like the paralytic last week. Remember Jesus said, hey, don't, don't go away or tell anybody about this, and, and what did he do? He went away and told everybody about it, right? And, and this is what Levi does. He says, hey, come to my house. We're having a party for this man who just changed my life. And oh, by the way, he's God. So they throw a party. Levi does. So a short time, he's a Christian, and he dives what? He dives right into 
ministry. He goes from being greedy to being generous. You see the Holy Spirit even work in his heart already as now he wants others to meet this one who has changed his life. Levi, in all practicality, starts a life group, right? He starts a life group. He invites lost people into his home to introduce them to Jesus. He throws this feast. He prepares food. He buys the food. He buys the drink. So it goes to a lot of costs to make this party happen. But we see the Holy Spirit already working in his life through showing what we would say is hospitality. Romans 12, 13 says, pursue hospitality. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 9 that we're to show hospitality without complaining, right? And that's what he does here. That's what Levi does. He welcomes all these people in. And so we see a couple things here. We see his immediate move into what? Community, right? And we're going to see why in just a second, but I'll read it to you. Uh, right now, look at verse 30. The Pharisees are going to come in. I don't want to get too far ahead, but look what they do. They grumble at his disciples. So who else is there with Jesus? His disciples, okay? So remember those fishermen back a few verses before? They're with Jesus, right? Because what did they do? They followed Jesus. So they're with Jesus. So they're at the party too. So what does Levi have here? He, he's in community already. And then I believe he's also already seeking to make disciples. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm following this guy. I want you guys. You don't know about this guy, but why don't you come meet this guy that I'm going to follow? And I think he's thinking, maybe you can follow him too. And so what is he doing? He immediately moves into community and making disciples. And so who is Jesus, Levi, and his disciples hanging out with? They're hanging out with lost people. They're hanging out with sinners. Because why? Jesus loves sinners. That's why he came. Now, him hanging out with sinners is not making sin okay, right? It's not encouraging a life of sin whatsoever. Jesus is not sinning. And what is he doing, though? He's loving sinners. And he's engaging them in the hopes that he can build a relationship with them, that they may know him. So their lives would be changed and their sins would be forgiven and they would follow him. Let me ask you a question. When, when's the last time you threw a party for Jesus? When's the last time you, sent a, you threw a party like Levi did and invited people over in honor of Jesus? Why not? Why not? What, what would stop us from doing that? What would stop you from doing that? It's the Easter season. Maybe Easter's a, Easter's a good reason to throw a party, right? At your house and say, hey, listen, I'm throwing a party for Jesus. Just love for you to come. Why not? Why are we doing the Easter egg hunt? Really, honestly, why are we doing the Easter egg hunt? Is, is because we're throwing a party for Jesus, right? Okay? Why, eggs have nothing to do with Easter, right? Eggs are good for breakfast, Okay? And so, but we're throwing a party for Jesus, right? It's an honor of Jesus. Because why? Because we want people to learn and find out about what we've learned and found out about. And follow the one that we're now following. And so, throw a party. <laughs> throw a party for him. That's what Levi did. Two things we see here, I think real simply, call them characteristics of discipleship, if you like. Two simple things I want you to see. Levi followed, and he fished. 
right? You might say, well, he's not a fisherman. I know, but there are two Fs. It just sounds good, right? He followed and he fished. What does that mean? He was being a disciple and he makes disciples. He does that, okay? But look what happens. Look at verse 30 real quick because you got to see this and we're, we're going to speed through this section, but I want you to see this. The Pharisees, their scribes, began grumbling at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with these tax collectors and sinners? And so this, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're not at the party. I want you to get that. They can't be there. Their religion says they can't be there. All right? So they're probably outside. Maybe they're looking in the window. I don't really know what's going on here. But, but they're somewhere close by, and they know that this party has taken place. They've sat and ate with sinners and drank with sinners, sinners and disciples and Jesus. And so they're like, hey, dudes, what, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? So the disciples had obviously come out. Now, I, lo- I love this. One, these disciples are with, with Jesus. They're hanging out with Jesus. They're, they're eating and drinking with Jesus. And I, I'm sure they get this question, and I'm sure they're shaking their head like, what do we say? <laughs> are we in the right or are we in the wrong? You know, maybe this guy that I just left all my fishing nets for, maybe he's a little wacky and maybe we're in the wrong. You know, I don't know what they're thinking. But I love that they're with Jesus because what is Jesus doing here? Even allowing them to be questioned this, I think Jesus is developing leaders, right? They're, they're with him. They're seeing how he lives. They're seeing how he engages lostness and brokenness. And he also allows them to encounter what? Religion. Because here's religion again. We saw it last week and we see it this week. These guys are grumbling. They're, they're upset. Because how would anyone share a meal with a sinner, a tax collector? Because that meant you accepted them. That meant some sort of even friendship, possibly. So what does religion hate? It hates grace. Religion hates grace. You see, religion loves rule following. It loves the attempt to earn the favor and acceptance of God. But God says, you can't earn a relationship with me. God says, I freely give it. And so Jesus came to show grace to sinners. And he changes their life. The idea of grace is that grace changes your life. It's not to give approval to sin. No, it, it shows you that you can't change your own life. Only Jesus can. And that's what grace came to do. And so if this shows us anything, it shows us to beware of religious people who even hold Jesus into question, right? And it causes us to beware of those who want to be even holier than Jesus because that's actually what they're seeking to do. And so they hate grace. Jesus is all about grace. And he wants his disciples to learn that right here. But look at verse 31 and 32, because these guys are like, man, what do we say? But Jesus is right there, and he responds appropriately. Look what it says in verse 31 and 32. As these guys ask, why do you eat and drink with these tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well people don't need a physician. Sick people do. 
I thought this week, I, I thought I might take this Bible verse and, and go to my pediatrician and give this to him. <laughs> you go to the pediatrician these days and you have sick people on one side, you have a door for them, and then you have a door for well people, right? And it's like almost they have a tracking device or something. Like if, if, you don't, if you're not in the well room at some point in the last year with your kid, they're going to bug you until you are, Right? Because for some reason, they want to see you and make sure your kid's well, right? Because I'm like, recently they called us and they're like, hey, uh, your kids haven't been here in like over a year. And I'm like, gosh, that's great. And they're like, no, 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 they've, no, no, they've been here because they've been sick. And I'm like, yeah, that, I know, we were just there in January. And they're like, yeah, but you need to come back and, because for their well visit. And I'm like, man, I just don't get this, Right? A good doctor hangs out with sick people. That's what a good doctor does. And that's what Jesus is. He's a great physician. And he hangs out with sick people. The Pharisees and scribes don't get that though, right? Why don't they get that? Because they do not believe they are sick. They don't believe they're spiritually sick. They believe they're righteous and well. But Jesus came for the sick. He came for the unrighteous. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 tells us there, the heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the worst sin of all is religion. It's man thinking that he can be a God. It's man thinking that he can earn a relationship with God. It's man thinking that somehow he can be the answer to his problems and sin. It's actually man thinking he doesn't have any problems or sin. Jesus didn't come for the religious and to make us more religious. He came for the sick. He came for the unrighteous with grace saying, follow me. So that you would what? Repent. That you would leave your life of sickness, your life of unrighteousness. And leave that behind and follow him. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is all about, which Jesus, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So religion hates grace, but it also hates true discipleship. Look at verse 33 as well. The Pharisees in Scribes say to Jesus, the disciples of John often fast and offer prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do the same. But Jesus, yours eat and drink. They cannot get over this issue. That Jesus and his disciples ate with these sinners and tax collectors. And so they hated the discipleship that Jesus was promoting because what John was promoting, what the Pharisees were promoting, they're saying, they're trying to trick him, remember, is they're saying that, hey, listen, they should be fasting. And fasting meant mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning, mourning and grieving, which was a necessary religious custom that they believed of purification, as fasting was, and also a fasting of separation in the sense of you were to stay away from the immoral, the unrighteous people. And so they're promoting this discipline, this way of religion. And they would do this in public. It was a, it's a way of being seen, showing their spirituality. And Jesus obviously addresses that in the Sermon on the Mount. 
says you should not do it to be seen. But these guys did it to be seen. Why? Because the end of religion is self. But the end of Jesus' discipleship is what? Boasting in Jesus, not self. And so these guys had a huge issue. And they wanted more religion. But what religion does, that's what it does. It moves us toward more and more religion. But Jesus moves us toward what? More and more grace. So look how Jesus responds. He does with a great picture. He says to them, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? But the days will come, and when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. So what is Jesus giving them a picture of? A wedding. It's a picture of a wedding. And at a wedding, He's basically saying, you wouldn't come to a wedding where there's tons of food and there's a reason to rejoice. And and the one who's hosting the party, he would not want you to come fasting and mourning and all gloom and down. And everybody would look at you and go, oh, how spiritual you are. Jesus is saying, no, that's, that's not how you would come. But you come eating and drinking and celebrating and excited. And Jesus is saying, that's how you should be. You should be rejoicing. Why? Because the bridegroom has come. And who is the bridegroom? Jesus. He has come. And we should celebrate. And we should rejoice. It is a time to eat and drink and to let other people know about him. Because in the end, to follow him is about denying self, taking up your cross, denying flesh, denying self. Oh, that's better than this religious practice of the Pharisees. And so Jesus says it's a time to rejoice, but he also mentions here something important, that there will be a time that he is taken away, alluding to his death, his resurrection, I believe even potentially his eventual ascension. And he's saying that that will be a time, especially of his death, of his going away, that his disciples will mourn, his disciples will fast. But he says right now, it's a time to rejoice. It's a time to celebrate. Because grace is here right now, the grace of God. And then he says this, and I want you to get this, and then we'll wrap it up. But look what he says in verse 36 through 39. He was also telling them a parable. So Jesus would tell these common stories to speak these spiritual truths. And he said, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, he will both tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says, the old is good enough. Now, I've heard this taught before. What's interesting about this, I've never heard these verses taught with the story of Levi. And after studying it this week, I don't know how you couldn't. (laughs) The context is so important here. What, What is Jesus saying with this story? I think real simply what he's saying is he wants to show the Pharisees, the Sadducees, his disciples, he wants to show us this morning that he came, his mission involves a radical break from these common traditions, these common religious practices that the Pharisees and scribes were promoting. And he teaches that he has not come merely to just add 
religious routines to those that have already been practiced. For what he brings is not a patch, but instead, it's a whole new garment. That's what he brings, and that's the picture. He didn't come just to provide a meal with sinners to be added to this old religious way of life. No, he came with something completely new. And it's what everything was pointing to. And his coming is saying the new has come, the whole new garment. And what is that? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The second point he's trying to make here is really the same. These animal skins, most of the time it'd be goat skins, they were used to contain fluids. Okay, so wine, when they were put into these uh, animal skins that would hold the liquid of the wine, wine would begin to expand as it ferments. And so it would have already expanded into these old wine skins to their limit. And so if you put new wine in these old wine skins, what would happen? I mean, it's pretty simple. They would burst. And so what Jesus is suggesting here with his teaching, with the gospel. It's like this new fermenting wine. You, you can't just add it into these old wineskins. So what is he saying here? It's almost like what Paul was talking about in Galatians. It's the idea that, hey, Jesus didn't come to be an add-on. Jesus didn't come to be an add-on to religion. And so he's telling the Pharisees and scribes, I, I didn't come, and I'm not promoting this new teaching just to simply stick on to what you guys are promoting. No, Jesus is saying, I've come to disrupt all that you're promoting. Because I need you to know that mankind is sick. Mankind is unrighteous. And they need a physician. And they need repentance. They don't need religion. They need the gospel. Because the gospel is the only thing that can save. And he says here, well, some are just going to accept the old. And that's what the Pharisees will do. They'll continue to accept the old and ignore what Jesus is offering. It's a new covenant. It's a relationship based on mercy and grace. It is the gospel and the only thing that truly changes lives. There's a pattern here. And they're up on the screen. I just want you to hear it. And here's what I want you to hear. It, it's simply this. You, you see it. You, you see it fleshed out in the text. Okay? As we close, here's all I want you to do. is I, I want you to see these. You can jot them down. But there's this pattern that the text promotes. That I think at the end of the day, we've got to look at our life and say, okay, listen. Is that the pattern of my life? And if not... What do I need to do to make it the pattern? And so here it is, real simply. The, the first thing I want you to see, you call this the pattern of discipleship, if you'd like. Jesus models it to us. I think Levi follows it and it's done well. But look what it, the first thing I want you to see here is connect with lostness. Connect with lostness. You see the difference between grace and religion. Religion says no to this first point. Not a chance. But grace says, no, connect with brokenness, connect with lostness. The second one is share the gospel, right? Jesus did that. Levi invites people to his house. Jesus is there. 
He's sharing the gospel. Jesus is there. And that's the idea. Share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Second, or third, make disciples. We see this. Jesus did that. He's making disciples. It's clear. He's adding a new one this week, Levi, to his crew. Levi does it too. You might be saying, whoa, 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 does it? Yeah, he does. He has people in his home that are lost, okay? And there is a goal. It's held in honor of Jesus. He's making disciples, okay? He's introducing people to Jesus. And how cool to think about this if some of those people, as they get introduced to Jesus, they start following you, the disciple of Jesus. That's the goal. That's called multiplication. It's a cool little math thing, right? That's what Jesus does. The fourth thing is get into community. He wasted no time to get into community. He immediately gathered people at his home. And present were people that knew Jesus and people who didn't. But definitely in the center, it was held for who? Jesus. Jesus was there. His presence was there. He was there. The fifth and final thing I want you to see real simply is develop leaders. So you might be saying, well, okay, well, that's where I'm going to check out. No. It's part of the discipleship process. You want to take people along with you. When they come to know Christ, you want to take them along with you. And the goal is you're developing them to be a leader as well. And we see Jesus doing that with the disciples. And, and it's not simply just sitting in a classroom. I, I think there is training, obviously, involved in equipping, but it's on-the-job training, right? Where, where you take people and you say, hey, you know what? Come along with me and let me show you how to do this to make this a pattern of your life. You're inviting them in and showing them and you're developing them. Now, there's five things right here, and what I see right here is a pattern to life. It was Jesus' life, and it's the life he invited his disciples in. So the big question mark I've had this week is, why is this not the pattern of our life, or why could it not be the pattern of our life? And it should be. This, when you read some of these things, you think, well, that's the pattern of the pastor's life, okay? I hope so, right? It should be the pattern of my life. But it's not just the pastor, it's not just the staff, it's not just the elders. No, this, is the this is the pattern of discipleship. This is the pattern of disciples. And so I just want here at the end, simply this, this week, even today maybe, get some time and just say, hey, listen, these things right here, how are these things involved in my life? What does this look like for me? And just like that, the coffee machine goes off every morning, I, I pray, my prayer is this, that, that these things, just like that machine going off, would be a pattern that was just part of our life, that we were a part of. Because this is grace. This is what grace looks like lived out. Let me pray.